uh, tonight, take your Bibles, if you would, go to Philippians chapter number two tonight, Philippians chapter number two, <clears throat> and we're continuing tonight with our series we've been going through on Sunday evenings through the book of Philippians and talking about finding joy in the journey, and so we want to continue this tonight, and uh, thank you for all of you that uh, have been praying for the rest of the group, Brother Guy and uh, Maria just got back. Appreciate you guys picking up uh, the remainder. Brother Brother Robert's here. He's here physically. I don't know if he's here, if he falls asleep. And, uh, did, you get, did you guys have a good flight? He's here. <laughs> <laughs> he's been around the world today. So praise the Lord. I, think, I, th- is, I believe we've got everybody in finally. So praise the Lord for that. I wanted to mention uh, with all that's going on this week that uh, we've got some of the Easter uh, invitations, gospel tracts on the tables out there. And if you can, uh, if you have an opportunity, take, just take uh, whatever you feel like that you, you're able to maybe get out this week. Maybe uh, go down your street. Maybe if you're going to go to the store, uh, something like that. Again, we want to put them somewhere where people are going to find them. And we're trying to be good stewards of this, but we want to try to get all these out. I think we've just got to maybe through 400 or so that we still need to get out. But if you can help us in any way, and uh, we, we'd love to see God's house full this Sunday so that people will hear the message of a risen Savior and why Jesus came. And I know the, the music, the presentation by the choir and all of that will be uh, well worth them being here. And I believe God will use it to speak to many hearts. And so if you, if you would like to, uh, take some of those with you tonight and uh, just be a blessing, give those out, all right? Philippians chapter number two, if you're able to stand tonight, let's stand for a couple verses. That's our text. Philippians chapter number two. And last time we were together, we, uh, we talked about in verse number 12, the Bible says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. And that's where we left off last time we were together. Tonight we're going to look at three verses, verse 14, verse 15, and verse 16, all right? And if you're able to tonight, let's read those three verses together, all right? Beginning in verse number 14, 15, and 16, all right? Here we go. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may, the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. And let's pray. Lord, thank you for this evening. And Lord, I ask that you would help us especially in the description we just read of this world that we live in, very similar to Paul's day, Lord, because sin abounds. We know that where sin abounds, grace doth much more abound, but we know that it's a a sinful world, a crooked and perverse world that we live in. God, you have saw that we uh, have a Savior and that we are now one of your children, and God, you've left us here for a reason. And the only way that we will help to make a difference in this world that we live in is if we have the right spirit, the right attitude. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to have the right spirit that would be pleasing to you, that you would use our lives and our testimony, that many would come to know you as their Savior. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Having the right spirit. You ever met someone that didn't have a very good attitude? (laughs) Uh, I don't know uh, Brother Robert and some of those that were traveling with him, but I know that yesterday when we traveled, boy, we came across a lot of people that didn't have a very good spirit, very good attitude. You know, somebody said a long time ago, when you come in, you need to check your attitude at the door. And I think sometimes Christians can get that way too. And I know that I get pretty, uh, I get pretty bad whenever I'm tired sometimes 
Uh, I, a lot of times we use around our house, we use the word snippy. You know, you guys familiar with the word snippy? You know, just kind of barking at people, having not a very good attitude. But it's interesting here because the Bible talks about this matter of doing the will of God, doing the work of God. I was sitting there as Brother Chris was making the announcements, and I was thinking over my life, and I just thinking about the grace of God and how God saved me, and I was thinking about how this Sunday is April 1st, Easter Sunday. It was on, true story, it was on April the 1st, we call it April Fool's Day, but it was April 1st on the calendar, 25 years ago this Sunday that God called me to preach. And I was just, I've been amazed that God has allowed me to do the things that I have done in my life as a Christian, but then I was thinking about you. Because although God has put a call on my life to preach, the reality is, is every Christian should be declaring the truth. Did you hear that, ladies? I'm giving you biblical instruction. All of us should be a witness. All of us should be involved in the work of God. It is our responsibility to see that we are doing God's will in our lives, and that is to be involved in the work of God. And as we are doing the will of God, we are instructed here in chapter 2 that we should be doing it in a way that honors the Lord. Let me say that again. We should be doing it in a way that honors the Lord. How many of you want to honor God with your life? I think it's, honestly, every one of us should say, I want God to be pleased with the way I do things for Him. And this is what Paul is writing here as he's instructing the church in Philippi. Somebody said a right spirit is essential to the work of the Lord. You Look, you cannot do the will of God and carry on the work of God with the wrong kind of spirit, the wrong kind of attitude. And as he writes here, and I want you to look at it again, in verse number uh, 14, notice how he begins our text tonight with the word do, all right? He says, do all things without murmurings and disputings. Now, the word do, I put there on your notes. I want you to see that. Here's what it means. The word poieo, it means that we are to act out or to execute. In other words, we are to do all things without murmurings or disputings. Uh, we are to uh, do things without complaining, do things without griping. And by the way, let me call your attention to something here. This do all things without, the word do is in the imperative mood. That means it is a command. God's not asking you. He's not making a request. He is commanding us as Christians that we would do all things, not some things, all things. This is a command of God. Now, Sometimes you look at words in the Bible and you think to yourself, what exactly is God talking about here? Well, look at these two words that he uses in verse 14. The first one is the word murmurings. Now, if you read in the book of Acts, the Bible says that there was a murmuring in chapter 6 of the Grecians because their widows were being neglected. Sometimes they say the word deals with there's an undercurrent. I've always found it interesting whenever there's somebody has a problem, they never want to come to the person that can actually help them or do something for them. They'll go to everybody else except for that person. Many times people don't realize God's given you a pastor. It doesn't mean pastor has all the answers, but many times people want to just go around griping and complaining about something instead of wanting to do something about it. And the word here, murmurings, means to be muttering, to be whispering. It's a secret debate. It's a secret displeasure that's not openly avowed. In other words, just kind of going around, talking about it. It says here that it is talking behind the back. 
Now, folks, we've, we've got to understand that type of, of, of attitude, spirit, is not pleasing to the Lord. By the way, it's not going to help the work of God. When we're walking around talking behind each other's backs, and by the way, I, I, I can say with all certainty, as far as I know, that I don't know of any of this in our church, but God help us that, it would, that we would never see this because it will destroy everything that comes into contact with it. And he says, listen, do all things, including murmurings, okay? He says, do all things, and notice not only the word murmurings, but he mentions the word disputings. Now, two different words. What is disputings? Well, murmuring is talking behind the back. Disputing is a deliberating. It's, it's questioning about what is true. It, in other words, being kind of hesitant, having this spirit of, of doubting something or disputing something. Uh, you know, in Paul's day, and he was trying to help the church in Philippi, and this was common, and I've seen it in other ministries where sometimes you find people who want to argue with other people, even in the area of, of leadership. Now, I'm going to tell you something. You're looking at a pastor who is far from perfect, who makes mistakes. And, and I'll be honest with you, I, I'm willing to sit down with anybody uh, from time to time if there's something that I've said, something that I've done, and I've, I always want to try to be right with God and right with other people. But a lot of times, people want to be armchair quarterbacks. Uh, you know, sometimes they think, boy, if, if I was in that position, I would have done it this way. Well, uh, anytime you want to switch jobs, we'll, 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 we'll switch it up for a week, you know. I'm not complaining. I, I've, matter of fact, I love pastoring. But it's easy sometimes to, to doubt and question. And many times, some of the things I do or don't do as a pastor is because I'm, I'm waiting on the Lord. I am looking to the Lord. I, I many times don't understand. And Paul was, many other pastors, same way, is a lot of times we think, well, it should be like this. It should be like this. And what I've just learned to do is to trust the Lord and then to trust who God has placed there. And unless it's something doctrinally different, then I just, I just say, Lord, you, I'll just trust whatever you're going to do. And here's what the passage says. It says, let all things, notice out now verse number 14, do all things without murmurings, without talking behind the back and disputings, without questioning in other words, he says, look, we've got, we've got to be a people, the people of God, that have the right spirit, that have the right attitude. So important if we're going to have joy as we go through this journey known as the Christian life. So when we, when we think about living the Christian life and having the right spirit in this, these three verses tonight, there are three great specific results that I want you to see if we're going to have the right spirit. Look, if I have the right spirit, then the first thing I see is that I will have a personal testimony, a personal testimony. Look what it says in verse number 15, that ye may be blameless and what? Harmless. Now, how many of you think that a, a, a personal testimony, a good testimony is important? How many of you think it's, it's important? Because your life, look, your life, my life, is a billboard for what people are going to think, not only about us, but about our God. And it's important for us to see how, if we have the right spirit, it will help us with our personal testimony. It's like the one day there was a farmer, and, and uh, you know, farmers, a lot of times, they have to deal with things, contend with things, and one day, this farmer, he grabbed his shotgun to shoot at a flock of pesky crows. These crows had just been kind of after his couple of his animals. They'd been after some of his crops, and it was about all he could take. So he grabs his shotgun, and he shoots into this flock of pesky crows. And unfortunately, when he shot into that, that uh, group of pesky crows, he didn't see that his parrot had joined in with those crows. So when he made the shot, after firing a few shots, he walks over and he looks on the ground where all the fallen birds were and he was surprised that his parrot was badly ruffled with a broken wing. There he was, laying there. 
And when the farmer's children came up and they saw the injured bird, they said, Dad, what happened? What happened to our parrot? And the farmer just said to his children, bad company. And you know, that's what happens to many of us. We get around the wrong people. And when you get around the wrong people, well, folks, I've seen it more times than none. You don't bring them up. They bring you down. That's why the Bible tells us to come out from among them. You'll have a greater effectiveness for the Lord if you come out from, if you separate yourselves. Now, I'm not saying, look, I'm not saying we're better than them. But I am advocating tonight doing things God's way, and that is to have a right spirit. And it will help us with our personal testimony. Two words that he uses here to describe the kind of testimony that, listen, you and I need to have. And look at the first one. It's the word blameless. Now, again, I, I love to study what words mean, and I, and I like to understand what God is saying to us. So here's the first word. In our personal testimony, blameless, it means deserving no censure, free from defect. Now, I'm not talking about that we are, uh, you know, it's not indicating here sinless perfection, all right? Because all of us are sinners saved by the grace of God. No, nobody's perfect. Uh, we're not here to look down our nose at someone else. But as, as he says here, it's talking about in your life, if we are to live blameless, it means that there ought not to be any accusations of, listen, of misconduct. Now, you remember, they accused Jesus of many things, right? But none of those accusations stuck. They couldn't prove them, right? That whole trial of Jesus was a mock-up. They couldn't prove anything. I remember... My first pastorate, there was some folks and they weren't happy that I was there because some things were happening and they felt like they were losing control. And I was just trying to be honest with you, I'm being truthful with you, I was just trying to pastor the church. I was just trying to preach the gospel and preach the truth. And I know I made some mistakes along the way. And some of the folks, they said, you know, listen, we, we, we want to get rid of this pastor, you know, and it was a very difficult time in our ministry, but the Lord was with us and God saw us through it. And, uh, and, and honestly, the Lord used it in my life. He helped me in so many ways. Now, going through it, it was, it was quite a difficult day for our entire family. But I remember as we were going through that time, we were in that service. And as we were there, some of the folks, because they didn't, listen, they didn't do it openly. There was never any, there was never any justification. There were never any biblical grounds given on why should we get rid of this pastor? In other words, the church was the one that voted that I would be the pastor of that church. I felt it was God's will that I would be there. And, and certainly, I'm not saying that I was blameless, that I was, I was perfect in every way. But I remember when I, when I was sitting about right over in this area on the platform, and they hadn't discussed it. It hadn't been brought to the church. And there was a man who was a fireman. He was sitting about the third row back, right in the center aisle, and he raises his hand to the man that was conducting this service. I was literally sitting over here while the head deacon was conducting this meeting. And the man raised his hand and he says, listen, we haven't discussed this. Why are you trying to tell us that we need to get rid of our pastor? Why are you? And he's, the man would not give him any reasons, no biblical reasons. They, just, they were looking for a way just to get rid of the problem. I can tell you that I found out after I left, and we, I resigned the pastorate there because I, I took counsel from about six pastors that I knew that had over 15 years in, in the churches that they had pastored. And, and every one of those men said, listen, Brother Keeley, here's how it's going to go. We've seen it time and time again that, that, that those people want things their way and they're not going to stop. And they said, it's not worth sacrificing your family for. Because, see, before I'm a pastor, I'm a father, I'm a husband. And, and, and listen, I can, I can always get another ministry, but I can't get another family. And I remember going through that. And Paul understood, listen, certainly in his day, Paul had seen it. 
He had seen churches where, where there was some murmuring and there was some disputing and some bickering. By the way, Paul, for many years before he got saved, was on that side of it. He understood all this, this griping and complaining. But look, God had changed him from the inside out. And he was saying, look, we have to understand how very important it is that they're, listen, they, they can say what they want about us, but let's just make sure that none of it sticks to us. That's what he's saying. You know, you ever had anybody accuse you of something and it's not true and you know it's not true? But guess what? It doesn't matter what you say. They're just going to continue to say it about you. I'll tell you this. The most important thing is, is that you can lay your head on your pillow at night with a clear conscience. That makes a wonderful pillow, folks. Because there's always going to be somebody, if you're going to, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer. And there's many ways you can suffer persecution. Paul says we have to understand if we're going to have a, a good uh, testimony, we have got to make sure that there is nothing in our lives. They might be saying it, but as long as it's not true. Look at Psalm 15, verse 2. He that walketh, how? Uprightly. And worketh what? Righteousness. And speaketh what? The truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor. In other words, look, trying to live a life that there might be the accusations there, but they are not true. They will not stick. And look, many times when you see the word blameless, and I've heard this for many years, I like the thought of it. You ever have a pot that the handle breaks off of and you try to cook something in it and then when you go to drain maybe the water off of the, the pasta or something and, and, and you're trying to somehow figure out how to grab a hold of it because there's no handle there? That's many times people describe the word blameless as having no handles. There's nothing there for people to get a hold of and carry untruths about you. Are you with me tonight? How many of you think we ought to have a good testimony, right? And one way to do that, look, we're not perfect people. The only difference between us and the unsaved is the grace of God. But he says if we're going to have a good testimony, we need to be blameless. And the second word he uses is the word harmless. Now, this is a great word, too, because it talks about that which is unmixed. There's not something that is, has been mixed together. It's, it is pure. It's free from guile. It's like many times you see uh, metals that have, uh, might have something else mixed in with them, and they're not pure. We, look, we all know that gold and silver, if it's pure, it's more valuable, right? We, we were on the bus, and we were traveling around, and it's kind of interesting how everybody there in Israel, they all work together. We, we were getting ready to get on the bus, and all of a sudden, we, I thought we were pulling away, and this, this guy jumps on our bus, and then the bus starts to leave, and our tour guide says, this is my friend, Muhammad, and Muhammad has a, uh, has a jewelry business, and he's got some fine jewelry that we'd like for you to take a look at, and Muhammad just got up on the bus and just made his way down the aisle and, 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 and had brochures and was taking orders and people were handing money. They've never met this guy. I mean, they were just, you know, people were buying stuff. And I, and I remember one of our ladies, she told me later on, she, she was looking at the brochure and she, she asked the man. She said, now, is this, is this sterling silver? And, and the guy got offended at her. She didn't mean to offend him, but she was just asking him, with this price that I'm seeing here, is this pure metal that I'm buying? And she went later on went to our bus drive, or our tour guide because she knew that this man, this jeweler, was friends with him. And so she went to him. She says, listen, I, I, I think I did something bad. She says, I think I offended your friend. I didn't mean to do that. But she said, because she says, I know that I offended him because when I started to ask him questions, he grabbed that brochure out of her hand and just walked away from her. But God says, look, you need to understand that in your life, you need to be blameless 
And if you're going to have a good personal testimony, you need to be harmless. There should be no mixture of good and evil in our lives. Philippians 1.10, the Bible says that ye may approve things that are excellent. Now look at the words. These are not mine. These are not Paul's. This is the word of God, that ye may be sincere, genuine. With the Bible there talks about without wax. And he says here, and without offense. Well, how long? Till the day of Christ. You know, if you buy something, look here, you want to make sure it's the genuine article. Who wants to buy something? And by the way, they used to do this in the Old Testament times. They would have something that would be a nice piece of pottery or clay, and it had a crack in it. And what they would do is they would fill it in with wax. And because of the heat of the day, they, they thought they bought this thing that there was no blemishes, no flaws in it. And then it, they set it down, and the, 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 the heat of the day began to melt the wax, and then they saw that there was a crack in it. And he, God says, I want you to be sincere. I want you to be honest. I, I want you to make sure that, that there's no mixture of good and evil in your life. He says, be without offense until the day of Christ. 2 Corinthians 1.12, our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience. I understand, the Bible says over in Romans chapter number 2, that every one of us, listen now, every one of us, God has given us a conscience. And understand, he says that the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation, our lifestyle, he says, in the world and more abundantly to you word. What is he talking about? He's talking about our Christian character. He's talking about our conduct as a child of God. And it's so important that we need to understand that our lives, your life and mine, that they need to be blameless and harmless. They need to be beyond the reach of any criticism. And here's why. Because if we obey the instruction here, and the Bible says that we need to do all things without murmurings or disputings, and we need to be blameless and harmless, if we try to live our lives in this way, that there may be accusations, but nothing is sticking, and that we're, there's not a mixture of good and evil in our lives, if we live by these instructions, that you and I will not be an excuse why an unsaved person will not accept Christ as their Savior. How many times have you, have you ever had somebody that you know that, that is crossways towards God or the ways of God, who doesn't want to get saved, doesn't want to hear about it, because they know of someone who has told them that they're a Christian, but they've watched their lives and the way they act and the things they say and the things that they do don't match up to what in their mind they think a Christian should be doing. And because of that, they want nothing to do with Christianity. How many of you have ever met somebody like that? How many of you still know people like that? You know, I think a lot of us have come across people like that. And by the way, I, when, when that happens, a lot of times here's what I do is I'll say to people, look, there are people around everywhere you go, there are people like that. And be honest with you, there may be times where I've done that. But I usually tell people, I learned a long time ago, not to put my eyes on another person to keep your eyes on Jesus, because the Lord will never let you down. And he says here that, look, we, we have to understand that if we're going to have the right spirit, are you listening tonight? If we're going to have the right spirit, it begins with our personal testimony. Again, I'm not saying that we're perfect. I'm not talking about sinless perfection. But I'm talking about making sure that we're right with God and that our lives would be pleasing to Him. And notice the second result of, of having the right spirit. Not only a personal testimony, but a powerful witness. Having a powerful witness. Folks, you know, when you think about how God's given us the opportunity, and He did the same thing for the church in Philippi, we want to make sure that God is using our witness and our testimony so that Others will come to know Christ as their Savior. I was reading about a girl named Hannah. She was just five years old. 
And she made this insightful statement about her newfound faith in Christ. She was heard to tell her mom, now remember, Hannah was just five. And she told her mom, she said, I think Jesus has moved out of my heart. And her mom kind of looked at her with curiosity and she asked Hannah, she said, well, Hannah, where do you think Christ is gone if he's moved out of your heart? And Hannah replied, she says, well, he's moved to my throat because all I want to do is tell people about Jesus. Now, if a five-year-old girl can understand that, why can't we? You know why? Because we think it's odd sometimes when people want to sit around and talk about Jesus. What else should a Christian talk about? March Madness? That's exactly what it is, madness. You know, a 16 seed beats a number one seed, that's madness. But you, you can't exhaust talking about Jesus, telling people about the Lord. And notice that we should be a witness of the light. It says here in verse 15, again, look at it, that you, you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine, notice there, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Now, look, I think all of us understand this is a dark world we live in, is it not? Sometimes, you know, you know, just about the time you thought you've seen it all, you see something else that just, just shocks you. You know, I, I mean, I've had conversations. I, I've, I asked Brother Gilbert many times, what was it like on the ark? You know, I wanted to know what it was like back in that day. But, you know, the truth is, the longer we live, and there's many in this room that are older than I am, you've seen a lot of things change in this world. But the reality is, you go back and read the book of Genesis, it was just as bad in that day as it is today. Now, they might not have had technology, but they had other things. There's always been a, a darkness in this world, and he uses the word perverse. Look at that word. I want you to see that word. It means to distort, to turn aside from the right path, to pervert something, to corrupt it. Some of you that are my age or older, television, when it first began, was actually nice. Andy Griffith, Mayberry. You know, there were wholesome things that you could watch on TV. I can't tell you how many times over the years, and I'm, I'm not preaching on the television tonight. You know, I've heard a lot of preachers preach on the one-eyed monster. You know, maybe you've heard a message like that. I think it's like anything else, the internet, money. I think you have to control it. But <clears throat> I, I know over the years that my wife and I, we might be watching a show and it, it, it might be a decent show. And then all of a sudden, to keep the ratings, they, they veer off in a totally different direction. And my wife and I, every time that's happened, we're like, well, that's the end of that one. But a lot of Christians, they don't say, well, that's the end of that one. They just keep watching. If we're going to have a powerful witness, we have to be a... Look at the words again. He says in verse 15, among whom... Look, we're in this world, but we don't have to be of this world, right? Look, you can't... You know, I've heard people say, well, I'm just going to go up to the mountains of Montana and get me a goat and a garden and, and just, just cohabitate up there. Listen, you, you can be a monk in a monastery somewhere, but God put us in this world and he put us among those that are perverse. How Look, how else are people going to get saved? I hope with all my heart that God's house this Sunday is full. But I hope there are sinners 
and saints alike in our services. There needs to be people who, who, who are not saved that they can come and hear the truth and they can be saved. Look, if it wasn't that way, I wouldn't be saved today and neither would you. But the Bible says God put us here among them. Are you with me tonight? And we need to be a witness of the light. This world is distorted. They are turning aside from the right path. They are, they are, they are turning uh, away from the light. Well, who are they turning away from? Jesus. Remember he said, I am the light of this world. You know, it's, it's important that we see this. Back in Malachi chapter 4, the Bible says unto you that fear my name shall the Son, I notice that word there, capital S, U-N there. Malachi says, the son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings. That's not talking about that ball in the sky, folks. Because it says, with healing in his wings. It's talking about the Lord Jesus here, the light of the world. Jesus said in John 9, I must work the works of him that sent me, talking about his father, while it is day. Now, he does tell us, Folks, the night is coming, and the night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, let me ask you this. Physically, physically, is Jesus in the world today? No. But the Spirit of Christ, the Word of Christ, is still here. We need to be people that have the mind of Christ. So very important that we understand the darkness of the hour and that God has put us here to be a witness of the light. Now look back in your Bibles. I want you to see this because look in verse 15 again. He says, among whom ye, notice the plurality there, among whom ye shine as, does that say light or lights? It says lights. Notice, listen, look at me. He's not talking there about Jesus. He's talking about us. Now, look, don't get me wrong. We are not the light of the world. But we are to be reflecting the light. We are to be sharing the gospel. It's, it's very simple tonight, folks. You need to see this. It's, it, you know, here's a great passage as you think about this. Because we're living in the world, again, physically, that's without Christ. Because Jesus came, gave his life, ascended up to heaven. He's at the right hand of the Father, but he's left us here. Jesus said, I will build my church. I had the privilege uh, about a week or so ago, I guess it was, we were, we were uh, traveling around the Sea of Galilee. Unbelievable. And, and we came upon this area, and they said, now, right over here, and it, it's amazing how many of the, the places the Catholics have moved in and set up shop. And they had a, they had a, 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 a monastery or something built there. But they, we got off the buses, and they said, let's walk down this path. And we walked down this path, and we, got, we were getting down to where we were heading. And, of course, nobody really knew exactly where he was taking us, but... He said, I heard him call, the pastor called my name, and he said, where's Brother Keeley? And, and so I made my way down there, wanting to know. I said, well, you know, what'd you need? And he says, listen, I want you to take my phone. He had a Bible app on his phone. He said, I want you to take my phone, and I want you to go down this hill right here, and we're going to stay up here. He goes, now, when you get down there, he said, I want you to read that, uh, the first, I think it was 14 verses, I want you to read that out loud. He said, this is exactly the setting where Jesus preached the famous Sermon on the Mount. And I just looked at him like, are you serious? I get to go read what Jesus spoke to them on this hillside. And I mean, the side of that hill was, was steep. And the grass was, was probably at least knee high. I had no, I thought, wonder what kind of critters are in that grass, but I, I was so excited. I mean, I, was, I made my way down there. It was, it was a miracle from God. I didn't fall going down the hill. And I got down there, and, and he finally said, he says, that's good enough. 
And he says, he says, okay, Brother Keeley, why don't you read it? And I read it. I wasn't screaming. I wasn't yelling. I was probably talking about like I'm talking right now. And when I finished reading those verses and I came back up, a lot of the folks said, wow, I could hear you easily just from the natural acoustics right there. But what he pointed out was that right there when Jesus preached that Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he pointed out there was a, there was a city that was right over from where the Sermon on the Mount was. And he, he, he read these verses, look at them there in your notes. Ye are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light, notice, unto all that are in the house. Let your light, where'd you get that light? He says, let your light so shine. It's not about us. It's not about you. you. Look, without the Lord, you wouldn't even have the light that you do. But he says, let the light that you've been given, now you are the lights. He says, let your light so shine before men that they may see the change that God has made in your life. The testimony that God has given to you, that you are blameless, that you are harmless in the midst of a perverse and a crooked nation, it is dark outside, but the darker the night, the brighter the light. People need to see Jesus. Well, how are they going to see Jesus if we are not living for the Lord? It's interesting when you study, and I won't take you over there, but if you remember the story of the Hebrew children that were taken from their homes and taken to a... a uh, God-hating country in the Old Testament, the book of Daniel. And the Bible talks about how they stood for God and they, same words here, they had a testimony. They didn't bow down. They let their lights so shine. And he says, look, a city that's on a hill, it can't be hid. A candlestick was made for one reason, and that is that it would be lit so that it would give off light to everyone. And God saved you, and he's left you here for one reason, that you would have a powerful witness. <laughs> Folks, it's not so that we can go around and tell our little stories about our lives and what's been happening and this and that. Listen, we need to make sure, as it says here, and glorify your Father. It's all about what God's doing. It's all about how God's changed us. We have a reason to be a witness. We need to be a witness of the light. And then notice, we need to be a witness of the word. Look at verse 16. Look at the wording here. Holding forth what? The word of what? Life. You know what you hold? Look here. You know what you're holding in your hands right now? According to this passage, what's it called? The word of life. You know what people need? They need the word of life. Because according to the Bible, people who are not saved are dead in their trespasses, right? Is that what the scriptures say? So according to the word of God, what they need is something that will bring them to life. We were practicing, talking, and and going through some of the things for this Sunday, and one of the parts is Jarius. And I was telling Brother Peter, I said, listen, when you say those lines, your daughter was dead. She was D-E-A-D. And Jesus, who's the resurrection and the life, brought her back from the dead. Lazarus. Think about Lazarus. Can you imagine sitting at the table eating with Lazarus, who was a dead man, and now he's alive? 
But can I remind you tonight that every one of us were dead. But because of what Jesus did, we're alive. Boy, that ought to excite you. That's almost enough to make a Baptist shout right there. Now, if, if you were a Baptocostal, you'd be shouting, but you're not, all right? But look, the word here that he talks about, showing the light of Christ by the word of God. God's given us his word, and what we need to do is give it out, share the word of God. In the wording here, holding forth, it means that we stretch it out, that we share it, we hold it out for others to see. And that's what he wants us to do is to share the gospel. Uh, I love what the man in California that helped me when it came to soul winning and being a more effective soul winner, he said, how will people ever get saved unless you ask them? Unless you share the scriptures with them. It's so important that we do that. Uh, there's a lot of people out there that are just trying to get people to make decisions. Look, I'm not interested in somebody making a decision. I'm interested in somebody coming to know Christ as their Savior. Having a personal relationship with the Lord. And Paul says what we need to understand is, is that we, if we're going to have the right spirit, we've got to have a personal testimony. If we're going to have the right spirit, it'll help us when it comes to this matter of having a powerful witness but then the last thing that he gives here in verse 16 is he gives us a pastoral hope. Now you have to understand, God is giving Paul the words to pen to this church, this body of believers. And as a pastor, I'm seeing here his heart and his love for these people in Philippi. They are brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's evident from the writing that we see his personality coming that he cared about them, that he cared about their well-being. And I've told people here at our church, and I'll say it to you tonight, that listen, as long as God has placed me here as an under-shepherd, God has given me the oversight, and I'm going to do everything I can because I love you to make sure that nothing happens to you while you're a part of this church. And that's, that's look... And that's the hope that I have is that God has placed me here. I want to make sure. I told a man today, I said, look, folks that work with our children, we want to make sure that, that they have not uh, in any way done something that would disqualify them from not being able to work with children. We want to make sure that everyone is protected, that everyone is safe, and we want to take whatever uh, necessary measures for everyone's well-being. And Paul was looking at this, and look at verse 16 again. He says, holding forth the word of life, that, notice that key word there. He says, uh, we're talking about stretching out the word of God, holding it out for other people to see. Why? Why do we do that? That I may rejoice. Paul says, I, I want to, I want to, I want to, there, there's going to come a day where I'm going to be able to rejoice. What day is that going to be? It says, the day of Christ that I have not run. In other words, live my life in vain. The word vain deals with empty, that nothing good came out of my life. He says, I want to make sure at the end of my life that, that I can look back without regrets. And he says that I have neither labored in vain, that I, I have not run in vain and I've neither labored in vain. And you know, it's amazing when you look at this because what Paul is doing, and you got to understand the passage here, the wording, Paul is looking forward. Well, what's he looking forward to? He's talking about the day of Christ, the judgment seat of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you understand the scriptures, the judgment seat, if you're saved, you're in Christ, this isn't a time where he's going to determine whether or not you're going to go to heaven or not. That was already settled when you trusted Christ as your Savior because he gave you eternal life. But there is going to come a day when every one of us is going to give an account of the, to the Lord of the life that we live for him. You know, no, here, here's a good example. What did you do with the Word of God? Did you hold it forth? Did you share the gospel with other people? I've known a lot of Christians, and I'm not here to make anybody feel bad, but I know a lot of Christians that don't ever witness. Don't ever tell somebody about the Lord. And there's going to be a day where you're going to stand before the Lord, and you're going to stand there empty-handed. And it's important that we see that he's given us an opportunity. Paul says, look, I have this hope that when that day comes, when we stand before the Lord, he's talking about himself and those in Philippi, 
and they stand there, and the Bible talks about the rewards. And again, it's not about us. It's about casting those crowns back to him. I like what uh, Clara Luce said. She said, there, there are no hopeless situations. There are only people who have grown hopeless about them. R.A. Torrey said, there is more joy in Jesus in 24 hours than there is in the world in 365 days. And he says, and I should know because I've tried them both. And what is Paul doing? He's sharing. Now, again, God allowed him to write these words, but Paul's sharing the hope that he has. Notice, Paul was rejoicing in the race. He's talking about the life that he's living. He's focusing on finishing the race. Look, how many of you want to finish the race well? Right? Now, look, I I understand we're all getting older. Uh, The Bible says, let us not be weary in well-doing. It's easy to quit. Anybody can quit, right? But he says, look, I want you to continue the race. There's no retiring on God. Now, you may not be able to do as much. I I hope he doesn't mind me using this illustration. I I don't mean no offense. But when I first came here and we were were getting ready to go out soul winning and we were meeting in the back back there, I remember that as we got ready, that Brother Kenny was handling things back then and I was just trying to get adjusted to how exactly things were being done here. And Brother Kenny kind of gave a little challenge and then he handed uh, Brother Flynn, he says, here, Brother Flynn, here's your eight doors. And I thought to myself, Eight doors? He's going to do eight doors? Like, seriously? Eight doors. And then it dawned on me, he's 840 years old. (laughs) Eight doors is a lot when you're 840 years old. And you know what I thought, Brother Flynn? My first thought was, how sad that I even thought that. I thought to myself, how many Christians even still go soul winning, much less at your age? I was ashamed of myself. I thought, that's awesome that he's still going. And then when I got to know Brother Bill, and I've been out with him a couple times to eat, restaurant or whatever, The man gives out more gospel tracts going in and out of the restaurant than most Christians give out in one year. And folks, I'm telling you tonight, God's given us a race. And I know sometimes it gets pretty hard. You know, I I don't, it's, it's the Lord. I don't even know how I'm still standing tonight. You know, like I said, I'm not kidding you. I don't know, biolog- on my, cl- my body clock right now, I have no idea what time it is. I'm probably going to hit the wall. I may sleep for another year whenever I get done today. I don't know. But Paul was, look, do I have to rehearse with you tonight all that Paul had been through? The beatings, the shipwrecks, the stonings. Are you, are, you, are you catching? He was rejoicing in the race. Sometimes we want to sit around and gripe and complain about how we feel like God's dealt us a bad hand. Paul's rejoicing in the race. Notice Philippians 3.14. He, he writes, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I love 2 Timothy 4, I fought, I fought a good fight. I have finished my course. Look, you can't, I, can't, I can't run my children's race. There's a lot of parents who try to live out their, their dreams of being this or being that through their children. Paul says, I, I finished my race. He's writing to Timothy, he says, Henceforth, because I have kept the faith, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which, Lord, the righteous judge shall give me at that day, and not to me only. Paul says, look, this isn't just something for me because I'm the apostle Paul, because I have helped to see churches uh, being birthed, and I've seen many people saved. Paul says, look, this isn't just for me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. Paul says, it's going to be a wonderful day. And that joy that Paul had, you know what it was? Because he was thinking about 
these believers in Philippi and how they were serving the Lord also. He says it's going to be a wonderful day. 1 Thessalonians 2, what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Notice, are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For ye are our glory and joy. You know, I love what John wrote, have no greater joy than to see and to know that my children walk in truth. Paul says, he's looking at the church in Philippi, he's looking at those people, and he says, look, you are the ones that bring me great joy, and here's why, because you're serving God. He says, it, it helps me to run my race knowing that you are doing what you're doing. It's not been in vain. He's, he was rejoicing in the race, but notice he was rejoicing in the labor. Folks, look, the word labor is not a bad thing. The word work, it's as long as it's something for the Lord. I love what somebody said. The hardest thing about milking cows, observed a farmer, is that they are never, they never stay milked. Now, some of you that maybe milked cows back in the day, every day, what'd you have to do? Go milk the cows again. Cows don't stay milked. And he says here, look, it's it, 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 being a Christian and serving God, God's work is never, it's never completed. We sing the song, we'll work till Jesus comes, right? The Bible says here in 1 Corinthians, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast unmovable, look at the word, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor, the work for, that you're doing for the Lord, he says the testimony, having the right spirit and, and having a powerful witness, he says that your labor, it's not in vain in the Lord. The Bible says, wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's what Paul was looking forward to. He says that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And remember what Jesus' instruction was? Occupy till I come. Just continue to do the work of God. Now, folks, I want you to think about this as we conclude tonight. Because the Bible tells us, and I've, I've alluded to this a couple times, but Ephesians 5.8, look at the verse, ye were sometimes darkness. See, we were just like those that we live among, the perverse and crooked of this world. He, he says, you were sometimes darkness, but now, he's talking about after we got saved, he says, but now ye are light in the Lord. And he says, because we are saved, we're light in the Lord, walk as children of the light. That's what we need to do. Walk as children of the light. So the right spirit, that's what he's talking about here. The right kind of spirit, what is it? It is a, being a shining light of what the gospel does in the life of the believer. People need to see what the Lord's done in your heart, what the Lord's done in your life. That's what Paul was testifying about in his own life. So what is tomorrow, Monday? Whether you go to work, whether you go to school, wherever you go out in the community, what does God want you to do? He wants you to let your light shine for him. Because we are the lights. Psalm 51.10, here's a great verse that you should take to heart. The psalmist says, create in me a clean heart, O Lord, O God, and renew a right spirit. How's your spirit? How's your attitude? It's very important that we have the right spirit. Because if we do, listen, it will help us with our testimony. It will help us to have a powerful witness. And it will give hope to all those that we come into contact with. Let's bow our heads tonight. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to be one of your children. I thank you that you came into this world to give your life so that people could have eternal life someday. And I thank you for the hope that we have, what we look forward to. But until that day, Lord, it is so important that we see that the life we live and how it affects those around us. 
Lord, we understand that what we do bears witness of what you have done in our lives. Help us, Lord, to be blameless and harmless in this world that we live in. And God, may our lives be used to help others to come to you. In Jesus' name we pray.